appreciate you being here this evening. It's wonderful to have you here. Hope you had a good week. And I got good news. I've got on good authority that it's not going to stay hot very long. Before you know it, it's going to be cold. And so just enjoy, enjoy while we got it. I tell you what, out here, I don't, I don't complain about the hot days because they go so quickly. Before you know it, we're into the long cold season. And so just no, 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 uh, whatever that is, complaining at all. If you have your Bible this evening, turn to Isaiah. It will be in chapters 54 and, Lord willing, 55 tonight. 54 and 55. We're going through Isaiah now at a breakneck speed compared to what we were doing. And um, now that we've gotten to what I think is the fun part, it's going too fast. I'm going to read for you verses oh, 1 and 2. I'll read first three verses, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into our lesson tonight. Isaiah 54, beginning in verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand, on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Taking notes, Roman number one is Israel's grand future of expansion. Israel's grand future of expansion. And then I'll give you letter A. During their judgment, Israel is pictured as childless. Childless. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us another opportunity this evening to study your word. What an incredible privilege. And then to be able to ask you, the author, to be our teacher. So tonight, Spirit of God, would you lead us and guide us and quicken our minds and help us, Lord, to get the truths you want us to get tonight. Lord, uh, help us to, to teach truth. May there be no variance from the truth. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter introduces the marital relationship between God and Israel, his bride. This Old Testament picture of God and his bride refers to Israel, while the New Testament pictures the Lord Jesus and his bride, the church. They are not the same. The New Testament church is not Old Testament Israel. This Old Testament picture of God and his bride refers to Israel. They're not the same. This opens with a look to Israel during their dis, uh, dispersion, pictured as being childless. As the chapter continues, the scene will look to their restoration and blessing as they return to the land of Israel during, of course, the millennium, looking forward to the Lord's rule and reign for a thousand years. Isaiah 27, 6 says, He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. I gave you the first introductory number, grand future of expansion. That gives you an idea of where we're going here. Israel's going to expand. It's not happening in its 
fruition or fullness today. It will during the millennium. It will expand its borders as Jews from all over the world come back to their homeland, along with converted Gentiles at that time. And so that's what this chapter largely is discussing, the enlargement of Israel during the reign of Christ. Letter B, the time of God's blessing would mean great expansion. A nomad whose family greatly increased would have to stretch the canvas of his tent to provide for more space. The day would come when Israel, like that nomad, would have to enlarge its borders. The time of God's blessing would eventually come for them. And that's what verse 2 is saying when it says, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Verse number 3, For thou shalt break forth on the right hand, and on the left thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Letter C is Israel's expansion will include Gentile converts. In that day, the day of God's blessing in the millennium, Israel will enlarge its borders due to the mass pilgrimage returning to the land. Israel will undoubtedly annex surrounding towns and villages and cities as its numbers swell. Their numbers will include Gentile converts who will be included in the kingdom of Christ because of their conversion to him. In Ezekiel 36, verse 35, And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Verse 4, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us have things in our past, shameful things in our past, perhaps as children or teenagers or young adults, that we did that we just as soon totally forget about. Well, such was Israel's testimony. They had much in their past for which they were ashamed. Letter D, God's mercy will remove the memory of Israel's wicked past. Israel's past had been so marred with sin, wickedness, their idolatry, had caused God to finally cut them off and send them into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. When God removed his presence from them, they were as widows with no husband, is the picture. In the day of God's blessing, or the millennium, those wretched memories will be forgotten. They'll be replaced with a glorious new relationship with their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31:19 says, Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Roman numeral 2 is God declared himself Israel's husband. Verse 5. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Letter A. 
Almighty God identifies himself as Israel's husband. God here identifies himself with Israel as a married couple. He created them. He watched as they chased after other gods. Because of that, he could have destroyed them. But he faithfully honored his covenant with them. Like Hosea was to Gomer, sought, God sought after Israel to win them back. The millennium presents a beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace to his people. In this verse, verse number 5, God identifies himself as their maker, the Lord of hosts, their redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, and the God of the whole earth. The contrast between wandering Israel and their God that wants them back is hard to grasp. It is God in all his might and power reaching out to his long-lost bride, seeking to make them his own once again. Hosea 2, 19 and 20. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Verse 6. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. Letter B, God will call his wayward bride. The book of Hosea is an incredible book, and the story around which Hosea revolves is incredible. How God told Hosea to go and to take basically a harlot to marry her and have children with her, which he did. She soon after left him and started having relations with other people. So he's bringing up the children himself as she's having relations. And then when she gets so worn out by all the abuse out there in the streets, Hosea comes and tries to win her back to once again be a husband to her. And that's the picture of God's relentless love for his people. Letter B, I read for you, God will call his wayward bride. Though Israel had begun in a faithful relationship with her husband, it was not long before she began straying. Her waywardness caused God to remove his hand of blessing, leaving her susceptible to the mercies of the heathen nations around her. God, in the day of the Lord, will call out to his forsaken bride once again to encourage her to return to their homeland. Isaiah 49, 14, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. But in Isaiah 62, verse 4, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Letter C. God had forsaken his people briefly. Verse 7, For a small moment, he says, have I forsaken thee. With great mercies will I gather thee. Just a small moment he forsook them. From God's perspective, all the years of Israel's dispersion, their diaspora, were simply but for a moment. Though Israel's time away from Jerusalem remains even today, compared to an eternity, those years seem but few. 
Psalms 30 and verse 5, For his anger endureth but for a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Verse 8, In a little wrath I hid my face. I like that. For a small moment, he says, and here, a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Letter D, God will hide his face from Israel during the tribulation. For a relatively brief time, seven years. God will hide his face from Israel as it is forced to endure the onslaught of the tribulation. However, he will redeem them from that time to be with him forever. Psalm 107:17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Verse 9. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. You've got to think about the analogy here, the picture of Noah and the flood, and what went on with that, because that's what he's using for the illustration here. First of all, letter E, God will faithfully deal with Israel in that day. God had promised that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood, which, by the way, is a promise he's still kept. He will faithfully keep his word with Israel in that day. Though they deserve everlasting punishment for their wickedness, God, in his mercy, will treat them as completely righteous through the shed blood of his Son. Isaiah 12, verse 1 says, In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Verse 10. For the mountains shall depart. That should give you a little clue. The mountains shall depart. The hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Letter F, though the earth itself may change, God's mercy toward Israel never will. And by the way, his mercy toward you will never change either. In comparison to the geographical changes that will occur during the tribulation, God reminded Israel that his mercy toward them would never change they will always be able to trust in Him. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Number three, Israel will be blessed by their king. Verse 11, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires. It's interesting because he begins by talking to them in their affliction. But as he's talking to them in their affliction, he's telling them what to expect in the future. 
That's one of God's methods. While we are going through the trials, he wants us to look to him for encouragement. While we're in the midst of adversity, he says, look to me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And to Israel, who at the, Judah, who at this time is going through intense trials and tribulation. God says, here's what's happening. I am going to do some amazing, amazing things in your future. Though Israel, I'm going to think, letter A, a look to the elaborate homes the Lord will prepare for his people. Though Israel even today is being tossed and afflicted, there is coming a day in which they will be treated as royalty. Described here as the ornate and expensive materials and gems that will garnish the foundations of the grand palaces the Lord will build for his people during the millennium. 1 Kings 5.17 And the king, talking about Solomon, commanded. And they brought great stones, costly stones and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. Why? Because Solomon's grand temple and house was a foretaste of what's going to come in the millennium. Solomon's incredible temple, just a foretaste of the millennial temple. Verse 12, <clears throat> And I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. Letter B, the millennial homes will be beautifully constructed. The architecture of Israel's buildings during the millennium is the theme of this verse. The homes will apparently be beautifully decorated with expensive stones. The word agates, the commentaries, most of them say that they think this means rubies. Rubies. Can you imagine as a sun would catch this enormously beautiful, huge ruby and reflect off of it? Carbuncles is the translation of fiery stones. These probably are stones that reflect the light of the sun. In any case, the homes will be beautiful beyond description in the millennium. Verse 13. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Letter C. All will be personally instructed by the Lord in that day. All personally instructed by the Lord in that day. <laughs> Can you imagine? If I'm, sitting, I'm seated clear in the back as the Lord Jesus stands up and teaches. Can you imagine? Oh, he says, uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. I want to teach you a few things. And our jaws just drop. I never saw that in there. Wow, that's incredible. Well, he's going to teach during the millennium. The masses of Jews and converted Gentiles alike who make their way back to Jerusalem in that day will have the esteemed privilege of being personally taught by the Savior. Jesus Christ will be their teacher. Once again, as he had opportunity to the crowds in Galilee, Jesus will preach and teach on Mount Zion. Micah 4.2 And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 14. 
In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Letter D, there's going to be no reason to fear in that day. No reason to fear in that day. The primary characteristic during the reign of Christ in the millennium will be righteousness. He will rule with a rod of iron, judging 100% righteously. There will never be a mistake on his part. Such a firm grasp of justice will prevent any malicious intruder from making his way even close to the protected city of Jerusalem. There will be no reason to fear in that day, for the Lord Jesus is the divine ruler in charge. Isaiah 11, 4 and 5, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and, the, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Verse 15, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Letter E, God will be Israel's protector in that day. In their past, God occasionally raised up nations against Israel to judge them for thy idolatry and their wickedness. In that day, he would never again need to resort to such judgment. However, in the event that nations would be, would be stirred against Israel, they would surely fall because of God's gracious protection over them. Zechariah 12.9, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Did you catch the thought? There has been days in the past where God stirred up heathen nations to judge Israel. But not in that day. In that day, he will no more raise any nations against Israel. He will judge all the nations that come against Israel in that day. Verse 16, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. Letter F, God often supplied nations with sufficient weapons to carry out his will. God supplied their weapons, he says. I'm the one that armed them to do my will. God speaks of his handiwork in supplying nations with weapons to be used to bring judgment against nations. He declared his part in empowering nations to be used to judge other nations. Isaiah 37, 26, Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass, that thou shouldst, be lay, thou shouldst be to lay waste defensed cities into ruinous heaps. Verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Letter G, Israel will find complete protection from their king. As the Lord Jesus takes his rightful place as king, 
Israel will enjoy his supreme protection. Finally, those enemies determined to destroy Jerusalem will find no success. The Lord will bring Israel complete protection and will judge Israel's offenders. Israel has a wonderful future awaiting them. Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Roman numeral 4, a call goes out for salvation. We're in chapter 55 now. 55 verse 1, and you're going to recognize a number of these verses, a very popular chapter. Verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. This letter A is a clarion call to come to Christ for salvation. Come to Christ for salvation. God gives to his people through the prophet Isaiah, a merciful call to come back to him, likening their spiritual thirst and hunger to their physical needs. He pleads with them to find all their needs in him. They can come freely and boldly to find him gracious and merciful. This is a clear call to come to the Lord for all our spiritual needs, from salvation and beyond. John 7, 38 he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Revelation 21, 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Revelation 22:17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Verse 2, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Letter B, here's what we're talking about. God challenges his people to invest in the future, in eternity. To invest in eternity. God challenges his people to invest in eternity. Laying up treasures in heaven. God questions his people as to why they're wasting their money on things that would never satisfy them. The, that, the thought seems to not be a condemnation so much of their sinful ways, but that they might invest their time, money, and energies into those things that will last for eternity. They could find the satisfaction they craved if only they would be nourished by doing His will. Exodus 15, 26, And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and get, keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. 
Verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. Let her see. God calls his people to salvation and promises a new covenant with them. God once again encourages his people to come to him and find that spiritual rest for which they crave. He mercifully calls them to trust in Christ and be saved. He told them he would make an everlasting covenant or promise agreement with them. It is not clear if this is the promise he gave to David of everlasting mercy to his descendants or a brand new covenant to be initiated during the millennium. In any case, it will be a promise of mercy and protection that will last throughout eternity. Psalm 89, 28, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Letter D. David was the archetype of Christ. He had been set up as an example of the coming king. David had faithfully led his people and had demonstrated a heart for his God. He longed to build a temple for God, but had to settle for it to be completed by his son Solomon. He had been a great leader of his people, but Jesus Christ will be the perfect king and leader of his people. In Matthew 2, verse 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And of course, Bethlehem is called the city of David. Verse 5. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. And nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel for he hath glorified thee. Letter E. All nations will look to the Messiah in that day. In that day, the millennium, the call will go around the world for all Jews to return to their homeland. There will also be a draw to Gentiles. Many Gentiles will look to Israel in that day to find that which is missing in their souls. They will come to Christ to find living water flowing freely. All nations during the millennium will look to Christ, the Holy One of Israel, to be fed physically, emotionally, and spiritually in one way or another. In Malachi 3.12, And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Seek ye the Lord, while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Letter F. Israel's opportunity to be saved is limited. It's limited. Though the principle still applies today with time running out before the rapture for the unsaved to turn to Christ before it's too late. 
the direct fulfillment of this verse is found during the tribulation as Israel is being called to come to Christ while they can. As the message of the gospel is preached by the 144,000, it circles the globe, many will hear and trust the Lord. However, that opportunity will soon cease when Christ returns. Isaiah 46, verse 13, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Letter G, God calls the unsaved to turn to him for the promise of pardon, a full pardon. As previously, God calls the unsaved to turn to him and repent. We serve a merciful God who longs to save and here reminds his people of his mercy. God offers a complete pardon to anyone trusting in Christ. This call is certainly for any unsaved one now, but it directly applies to those living during the tribulation. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And Roman 5 is God is awesome. God is awesome. Verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Letter A, God's mercy is humanly incomprehensible. <laughs> so, so far above us. There is no possible way our mortal minds can comprehend the depths of God's mercy. While we would quickly relegate an offender to punishment for his ungodly deeds, God desires to fully pardon him if they will but trust in his Son. God's mercy is beyond human understanding. Psalm 36, 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches under the clouds. Verse 10 and 11, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Letter B. God's word brings spiritual refreshment. Were you refreshed? This morning, when you opened God's Word and read, did it refresh you? The rain that falls to the earth brings with it life-giving properties, softening the ground, providing moisture, and refreshing it. In so doing, it allows the wheat to grow for man to make it into bread. Even so, God's Word is life-giving. It provides for the spiritual needs of man. As a man dying of thirst in the hot sun can find relief from a cool drink, so can we 
drench our thirsting souls with the precious word of God. John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And lastly, Roman number six, a glorious age under Christ. A glorious age under Christ. Verse 12, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Letter A, the millennium will be a time of great peace and productivity. In that time, there will be great rejoicing in Israel. Led by their king, the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be peace. It will be a time of great productivity with the land becoming well watered and extremely fertile. Isaiah 35.10, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And verse 13, Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Letter B, the land will become a lush garden in that day. That which now covers the arid ground in Israel is desert. Only thorn bushes and the like naturally grow there. However, in that day, lush green will become the foundational color of the ground as it will be covered with vegetation. The trees will be those that grow in moist climates. It will be a garden of Eden like oasis in and around Jerusalem in that blessed day. Isaiah 41, 19 and 20. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shittah tree, the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. Whew. Powerful two chapters. Let's thank the Lord for them. Dear Lord, thank you so much for these chapters and for this glorious look to the future. The more we read and study about it, the more, the more it's hard to comprehend. Lord, we look forward to your rapture. But you're giving us taste even beyond that. A time where we will rule and reign with you during the millennium. Lord, thank you for these little sneak peeks into that blessed time. Go with us this week. And Lord, if there are times where we get a little disheartened, a little uh, discouraged, would you remind us of what we studied tonight and help us, Lord, to look to you for encouragement. We love you. Bless this week, I pray. We, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.